This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. So before this passage starts, we are actually, have you ever been to a, uh, a play or something and the curtain closes and then the narrator comes on and, and begins to explain some of what you just saw and, you know, they, they kind of begin to fill in a few blanks? Last week, the curtain closed on the public ministry of Jesus. From this point on, he doesn't address the Jews in a group anymore. He's done all the signs he's going to do for these folks. And he's, as he's kind of stepping off the stage, heading to the cross, John speaks up. And this is what he says. Even though Jesus had done all these signs in the Jews' presence, yet they would not believe in him. This was done to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet wrote. Lord, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The Jews could not believe because Isaiah wrote, God has hardened their heart and blinded their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and return to him and be healed. Isaiah wrote this about Jesus whom he saw and wrote about. And, and, and that's our passage, right? So I want you guys to kind of help me. This is the time you get to talk back, right? This is the kind, this time you get to speak up. So I want you guys to help me. So even though Jesus had done what? Yeah, all these signs in the Jews' presence, uh, what, what would they not do? Yeah, they, they wouldn't believe. This was done to fulfill, uh, yeah, what the prophet Isaiah had written. Uh, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom? Yeah, to whom is the arm of the Lord be revealed? They could not believe because Isaiah wrote, God has and lest they and understand and turn to the Lord and be. Isaiah wrote this about whom he and wrote about. Yeah, so very good. Give yourselves a hand. Kurt has candy for everybody that did that well. You can see him in the hallway later and ask for it. Love putting my son on the spot. 
there is a tool that is used by Jewish rabbis that we are not very familiar with in our day and time. It's called stringing pearls. Do I need to explain that to anybody? Or do you all understand what I'm, I'm teasing? Of course, probably hardly anybody knows what that means. If I were to say to you, four score and... Yeah, you, you know instantly what I'm talking about, right? Uh, today, December 7th, 1941, a day which... Yeah, we'll live in infamy. I mean, we, we automatically kind of know that next part, we, and, and we know the, wh- where that's coming from. The Jews, as a people, knew their Bible so well. I'm blind in my left eye anyway, so we'll be able to see you guys over there. <laughs> a couple of you I probably want to block off, but... They knew their Bible so well that if they just brought up, you know, a portion of the Scripture, instantly the people would know what the reference was. For instance, if I can find it in my, in my Bible, in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was on the cross, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the people started looking for, you know, they were going to give him something. No, 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 wait, see if Elijah comes. Those were the folks that didn't understand. To the people gathered around the foot of the cross, and by the way, the cross was probably only about 12 inches off the ground. Probably right where they could, because the Romans did that so that people could look in the eyes of those being crucified and see their torment and see their suffering. And so as, as they're looking in his eyes, almost every Jew in the place would have thought this in their mind. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day and you do not answer and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let the Lord rescue him, for he delights in the Lord. See, instantly, those, when he said that first verse, all his listeners would have gone immediately to Psalm 22 and gone, oh! wait a minute, this, this could be talking about the Messiah. And so that's exactly what we have taking place here in John. When uh, John is writing, it says, even though Jesus performed so many signs, then he says, Lord, who has believed our message? Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Instantly, every listener would have known 
That's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, probably the single most significant chapter in all the Bible. And if you, uh, if you have any Jewish friends, I would highly recommend that you have a discussion with them about Isaiah 53. I can remember one night uh, when uh, we were doing ministry in, in Florida, and I'd been to the hospital late at night and was driving home, and I, and I drove by the Krispy Kreme. About 2 o'clock in the morning, and the light was on. All right, what are you going to do? You, you got to stop, right? And, and so I pulled into the Krispy Kreme, and, and, I, and I got a cup of coffee and, and uh, you know, a, a diet donut, which most people don't even know Krispy Kreme has those on the menu. And I was sitting there, and there was a, there was a guy about two stools down from me, and as he leaned over to drink his coffee, a necklace fell out. It was a Star David. And I went, hey. It's two o'clock in the morning, right? What do you got to lose? Are you Jewish? And he goes, yes. I said, well, man, I am, I am it's so fortunate I got to see you because I've got this burning question and, and I wonder if you'd give me, give me help. I was, you know, I was, I was raised in a Jewish home and I went to shul and I was in a Jewish fraternity. I said, but I have come across this Old Testament passage and I just don't understand it. He went, really? What is it? I said, well, and I, and I had, my, had my little pocket Bible with me and I pulled it out and I turned to Isaiah and I handed him my Bible and I said, can you read the last two verses of Isaiah 52 and the rest of Isaiah 53? This is what he read. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom is the arm, the strength of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And so as Jesus, or as John said, Lord, who has believed our report? To whom is the strength, the arm of the Lord been revealed? Instantly, instantly, everybody that was reading this, everybody that heard him say that would have known Isaiah 53, which the rabbis of old considered to be a most definitely messianic psalm or a chapter talking about the Messiah. Today, if you attend Shul, in a Jewish synagogue, this has been taken out of the regular reading. Because not long after the time of Christ, one of the Jewish leaders got together and said, no, we're not going to include that. Because like my friend at the Krispy Kreme, I asked him, I said, what is this? You know, who do you see there? And he goes, you know, I don't know a lot about him, but that sounds like Jesus. No. And, and, and we talked a little bit. He didn't get down on his knees. Of course, I probably wouldn't got down on my knees at a Krispy Kreme floor either. But he, he didn't pray. But as we left, he said, you know, I'm going to have to ask my rabbi about that. You know? And... Guys, I got to tell you, when I'm talking to somebody about the things of the Lord, when I'm talking to somebody about eternal things, I just want to put a rock in their shoe, right? I, I, I want it so whenever they take a step, they're, you know, they're, they're thinking about what we talked about. My, my job is not to convert somebody. But my job is to give them the tools necessary so the Holy Spirit can do what only the Holy Spirit can do, Right? But I still need to do my part. A lot of us just think, well, boy, I hope the Holy Spirit speaks to him. <laughs> hope the Holy Spirit reveals spiritual truth to him. That's why the Holy Spirit sent us, right? But this passage is so... Like, did you know if you study Isaiah, most modern scholars will tell you there's two authors, they will tell you there was one author for the first 40 books and another author for the rest of the, of the book. You know why? Because so many things Isaiah wrote about before they happened, happened. Scholars went, well, it can't be the same guy. Because nobody could know those things. And so they came up with Deutero-Isaiah, which means two authors. That there's two Isaiahs. There's only one problem with that. In this passage... 
John quotes the first part of the last part of Isaiah and the first part of Isaiah, and he says both of them were written by Isaiah. Right? And, and so here's, here's just some of the things that were predicted by Isaiah about the Messiah, about the suffering servant. And 700 years later, this is what happened. Isaiah said he would be disfigured by suffering. Mark tells us he was struck, spat upon, and mocked. Isaiah said he would come from humble beginnings. He grew up in, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, a city with a very poor reputation and not where the Messiah was expected to come from. He would be rejected by many. While Jesus was on the cross, he was mocked, he was blasphemed, and he was reviled, even by those who were crucified with him. He would bear our sins and suffer in our place. Peter tells that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He would heal many. Duh, right? <laughs> he voluntarily took our punishment upon himself. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He remained silent during his suffering. All he had to do, Herod, Pilate, they were looking for a way out of crucifying him. They didn't want that to happen out of fear. And yet Jesus never defended himself. He would die, and he died. He would be buried with a rich man. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Now, fortunately, it was just a rental. You know, Joseph got to use it. They just came in and cleaned it up a little bit, and they got to use it later. He would not remain dead, but he would see his seed prolong his days and be exalted. You know the beauty of that? 2,000 years later, 2,700 years after Isaiah wrote these words, the seed of the Messiah is gathered here in this room, praising his name, celebrating what he has done on our behalf. Through his stripes, we have been healed. And so, as John is writing about this, it's, it immediately, they go there and they're like, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. Yet, it says, in spite of all the signs Jesus did in their presence... Can you imagine being a Jew and, and, and you're kind of sitting there and you're listening to Jesus and he's going, yeah, I'm the light of the world. And, you know, and, and you're a believer and you're sitting there next to this Jewish guy and you're going, man, what do you, what do you think about Jesus? What do, you, what, do you, what do you think about it? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he did some tricks and stuff. And you're going, that's, that's Lazarus sitting there, right? I mean, dead men walking. 
And it's more than a trick. And, and yet it says that the way the construction of the, of the passage is in the Greek is they would not believe. And we're told later on, you know, some believe, but they wouldn't confess because they were afraid of the crowds. And, and that's, that, that's that head belief, not that heart belief. It starts off with, they would not believe. And then look what verse 39 says. This is why they were unable to believe. You see, it changed from they would not believe to they could not believe. You know, there, there reaches a point where there's a, there's a line, and, and, and we don't know where that line is in somebody's life, right? It's not our place to make that call. But something changes. There reaches a point where I gave you a chance, I gave you a chance, I gave you a chance, and their heart becomes hardened. My wife and I had the opportunity, our first church that we served at uh, was a, a, a little church out in the middle of the country in a tiny little town, uh, Folkestone, Georgia. And if you know where Folkestone, Georgia is, you're one of the few. It's literally on the edge of the swamp. While we were there, God moved in a powerful way. A little church that ran 65 in Sunday school baptized 184 people in one year. Just an, an incredible move of God's Spirit. It, it, it was so that the, the first week when God started just breaking out and, and, and moving uh, the, the, at an altar just like this, basically, you know, we call it an altar. It looks amazingly like steps. Uh, and, and during the invitation... I mean, people were just streaming down to the altar, and because I was on staff uh, as the uh, uh, youth minister, you know, I was I was going down to help counsel. But about the time you'd get right to the to the edge, the power of God was so strong it would literally drive you to your knees. You couldn't even walk up to the altar because the the presence of God was so strong. The chairman of the deacons came to know Christ. I mean, in that first week, we had 33 people who were part of the church make professions of faith and, and, and gave their lives to Jesus. It was just an amazing thing. But uh, I, I was working for a company that delivered batteries, interstate batteries. Some of you guys have, have seen those. And, and I was working with a young man, and I was watching. At night, during the invitation was, was given, he had a hold of that pew. I, I actually went one night when, when the invitation was done and looked at the pew because he was grabbing that thing so hard, I thought he probably left imprints with his fingers. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's just, uh. and, and, and one night I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, man, if you want, I'll, I'll, I'll go down with you. And he goes, no, it's, it's okay, it's okay. The next night, about the third night, during the invitation. I mean, he had been weeping. God had been working in his spirit. That next night, invitation was given, and, and man, people are streaming down the aisle. Power of God is still strong. And he's just standing there. I mean, nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
The next day, we're in the back of a truck slinging batteries together. And I was talking to him. I said, dude, I said, I, I noticed last night that, you know, all week long, I could tell that Lord's been talking to you. He's been speaking to you. And last night, it just, there was nothing. What's up with that? He said, you know, he said, I hadn't been able to sleep all week long. He said, and the other night, I went home. And I got with God, and I told him, God, I'm tired of you bothering me. And if you'll leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. And he said, and God has answered my prayer. And he's leaving me alone. And he came the rest of that, he came the rest of that revival because his mom was very active in the church, great woman of God. And yet, God never, never dealt with him again. And just a couple of years later, he was climbing on a ladder, changing a light bulb, and he fell and died. Young guy, in his 20s. That's the only person I, I ever know that just, he, he, you know, it went from he would not until he could not. And we don't know where that happens in people's lives, right? But Isaiah again wrote, that God hardened the heart of the people of Israel and blinded their eyes. And he did that because he did not want them to turn to him. What? That a problem for anybody? I mean, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's true, right? But God has a line. The nation of Israel, he had dealt with them through the prophets. He had given them everything they needed to see his hand and to see his heart. And yet they rejected him time and time again until finally he said, all right. And when Isaiah wrote, Isaiah was writing, preparing them for the Babylonian captivity. Tens of thousands of Jews were slaughtered and many more thousands were moved to a different country. And for 70 years, essentially, Israel ceased to exist as a nation. But after 70 years, God brought back a remnant. The Isaiah story goes like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord he was seated on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of the voice of the seraph, the foundation of the temple shook. And the room was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, I, I am doomed. I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes, they have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And at that, one of the seraphs flew to me 
having in his hand a coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And with that coal, he touched my lips. And he said, because this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will go for Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Isn't that an awesome story? And just an incredible story? That's usually where we stop. Yeah. Usually you hear that. It's, it's being preached someplace to get missionaries geared up. And uh, yeah, go serve the Lord. Go share that message. They miss the next lines. And God said, go and tell this people, hear but don't understand, see but don't perceive. Harden the heart of this people so they don't understand. Make their ears heavy, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and be healed. At which point, Isaiah's response is, <clears throat> uh, how, how, how long, oh Lord? <laughs> you know, it's like, that wasn't, that wasn't the message I wanted to deliver. I got this great sermon on prosperity. <laughs> you know, I got this great sermon about if you name something, you can make it yours. That's the one I want to preach. But it wasn't what God said. Because you see, the nation, they had crossed a line. And now the judgment was coming. It's no surprise that John uses Isaiah as the prophet he refers back to. Because what is happening here with the people in Jesus' time... Just, just prior to this, Jesus walked into Jerusalem and he just, he just broke into tears. He began to weep. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If only. If only. See, that's the way unbelief works. They would not. And then they could not. Some of us, most of us, Maybe even all of us. At some point in our journey, there's going to be that thing. That thing we're praying about. That thing we desire. And it's not going to work out the way we want it. Right? Anybody ever had one of those? Nobody in this place has had one of those. That what a crowd this is. Yeah, there's, there's going to be that thing. We've, we've got a sickness. We've got, we've got somebody we love that is on the verge of death. Or we've got a financial need. Or we want a job. Or we want a relationship. And God has other plans. And we get mad with God. 
right? I mean, I never have, but I know some of you all have. <laughs> and, 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 and we're going, but God, this is, this is the way I've been praying for you to do this. Have you ever thought, I mean, all of us have had that in our lives, right? We've been, we we kind of get, get mad with God because we've been praying for something. He does something different, right? You, do you realize what we're saying when we say that? God, I, I, I pulled the strings and you didn't dance for me. God, I, I rubbed the lamp, but you didn't give me my wish. God, I gave you the command, but you didn't obey. And what I have found in my lifetime is that very often it is those moments. It is, it is those moments that we are in danger of changing from would not to could not when it comes to belief. We, we begin to develop a spiritual callus. I personally have never had a callus because that requires doing something with your hands. And, and typing apparently doesn't bring those about. But, uh, you know, calluses develop and you, and you don't have that sensitivity, right? Have you ever developed a spiritual callus? Where there was an area of your life where you wanted something to happen. And it didn't happen the way you wanted it to. And so you're like, well, God, you know, I'm still going to go to church. and I'm still going to pray and all, but I'm not going to get, like, nuts about it. Right? And we begin to hold back. And that gets easier and easier. I want to close with one of the things Isaiah said. John speaks the last verse. John chapter 12, verse 41. This is so important. I want you to listen to this. Isaiah spoke of Jesus, whom he saw. And wrote about. Well, when, when would that have happened? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his rope filled the temple. Jesus is not just the God of the New Testament. He has always been and he will always be. And even in judgment he proclaims love the end of that Isaiah 6 passage, it's really interesting because he's going judgment, judgment, judgment. And the last verse of Isaiah 6 is, 
Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled. The holy seed is the stump. You see, he says, there's judgment coming on the nation, but there'll still be a remnant. I'm not wiping you out. You deserve it. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a chance. I was thinking as we were singing today, as we were coming into campus, I don't know if you <clears throat> noticed all the sorority girls. Kind of hard to miss, right? Uh, and I was thinking back to college. I can still vaguely remember what that was like. And, and you know, when I was in college, I, 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 I wasn't part of the BCM. Didn't know there was a BCM. I wasn't part of a Christian student fellowship. I wasn't part of anything on campus that was going in that direction. And yet God loved me enough in my sin to reach down and reveal himself to me and say, come and die. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I know a lot of times we have folks coming in to check things out. Man, we love having you here. And if you got questions, it's okay to ask the hard questions. That's all right. We're, you know, our God's big enough, we're not afraid of the questions. But I would, I would give you one challenge. Examine your heart and see if maybe there's a place where you, something happened and you would not. I don't know what that might look like. Give that over to the Lord. Because he wants to take those broken places and make them the strongest part of your life. That's his invitation to you. Not just to fix brokenness. Not just to work in spite of brokenness. But to make the broken places the best places. If you'll just let him.